Hello, and welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 46. I'm your host, Michael Citro, and before I get to today's show, I want to talk to you a little bit about my Patreon. Yep, sorry, just a quick little announcement. If you go to patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection and just take a look, uh, there's different tiers, different value you can get for your support. If you like to support independent publishing, independent podcasting, uh, this is a great way you can do it uh, for as little as $2 a month. No hard sell, just go check it out. That's all I'm asking. All right, now that that's out of the way, I'm very excited about this week's guest I had on Pat Francis. If you know your music podcast, you know who Pat Francis is. He is the host of the Rock Solid Podcast, a fantastic show with incredible guests that, that make all of the rest of us jealous. I had the, the pleasure of talking to Pat a little bit about his show, uh, but then the, the more important issue is that we wanted to talk about one of our favorite records, and Pat is a huge Cheap Trick fan, so we talked about Cheap Trick's classic live album at Budokan. So I hope you enjoyed this discussion with Pat about his show, about getting autographs at concerts, and also about Cheap Trick. Let's get to that interview right now. Here we go. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very happy to have with me on the show this time out, Pat Francis from the Rock Solid Podcast. Pat, thanks for your time. Thank you, Michael, for having me. You've been doing Rock Solid a long time, and I found your show because one of my other gigs is I, I run a, a soccer website, and I follow Alexi Lawless on Twitter, and Alexi tweeted about being on your show, so I went and checked it out. You guys were having a little discussion about... Uh, Def Leppard. You yes. Guys talking about Def Leppard and uh, on through the night and and Alexi didn't like the song Wasted and you did and and Alexi browbeat you into saying that okay it's not that good. <laughs> he beat me down and I did I was uh, he intimidated me he beat me down and uh, and yeah I changed my opinion. It's not it's not one of my prouder moments but that's what happened. I called him out for it. Um, I met Alexi in person uh, for the first time at uh, a reception before the MLS All-Star Game, and I, I just talked to him for probably 15, 20 minutes just about that song. And, and, and about you, how uh, I, I told him, him? He, <laughs> no, I didn't convince him that it was good, but I did convince him that he shouldn't have made you feel bad for liking it. <laughs> uh, well, Alexi's great. Uh, I love that guy. So uh, he could probably browbeat me into not liking something else. So, <laughs> yeah. So you've been doing this show, what, 11 years now? We are, yeah, we're in the 11th year. Wow. How, how did you come up with the idea that this is something you wanted to do? Uh, I actually, I didn't even come up with the idea. I was uh, a couple guys from another podcast that I used to be on a lot. They just set me down and they said they were going to start a, uh, they were going to start like a podcast network. And they said, um, they said, we want you to be the first show on our network. And I said, well, I, I can't do a podcast. I don't know what to do a podcast about. And they said, you love music. You do a music podcast. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do it by myself. I need a co-host. So we just uh, talked about it for a couple of minutes. A couple of names were thrown out there. Mike Schmidt's name was thrown out there. Mike Siegel's name was thrown out there. And then I remember this guy on Facebook and Twitter all the time, Gary Lucy, who, uh, who we all knew a little bit. And he had, 
you know, different musical tastes than I did. Mm-hmm. And I, and he, and he was, and he's funny. So I said, well, it, let's go with Gary Lucy because no one wants to hear two guys talking about the same music every week. I just felt that might be boring. I thought it might be fun for, for people that have different opinions mm-hmm. on, and like different things. So I asked him if he wanted to do it. He said, yes. And the first episode ever, that was it. We just turned the mics on and went. We didn't plan anything out other than the topic. Mm-hmm. We didn't do a test show. We didn't really even talk about it. We just showed up, turned the mics on, and that's it. And you can still find that first episode uh, everywhere. And that wow. was it. So you're, the premise of your show, and it's changed a little bit over the, the course of the pandemic at times, yeah. but it's uh, it's the, your show is about music, but it's a comedy music about all things rock and roll um and or all things music what, what is your tagline we say it's the comedy podcast for all things music both new and classic the comedy just comes out of whoever's in the room with me and whatever the conversation is you know we don't try to force comedy and sometimes it's there isn't comedy in it but for the most part we try to be funny with the pandemic it's been more it was more the interview of the week and i don't really try to be funny when i have a some famous musical guest. I mean, right. I don't try to not be if something's funny, I'll say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but, um, but yeah, we just, I always wanted to show that we would just, it would sound like you and a friend sitting around in your room in high school, listening to music. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's, and that's a great premise. That's kind of what my thought was too. It's that you know, you, you used to come home from school, your friends would come over, you'd put records on and you'd, you bust on each other and you talk a little bit and and you'd say oh man that was a great guitar solo can you believe that look at listen to ace freely look what he's doing and and that kind of thing and 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 it was fun it was trying to recapture that and i think you guys do a good job of that and were these all like comedian friends of yours that when you started out well yeah yeah once uh yeah gary was around for about 130 episodes and then once he once he didn't want to do it anymore i wanted to have a rotating so I, I wanted, and I wanted to have some female voices. So I got mm-hmm. Christy Stratton, April Richardson, Murray Valeriano, and Mike Siegel. And those guys became, I call that the classic lineup. They became uh, the rotators. And I was able to keep that up for quite a few years with really rotating them in girl, boy, girl, boy, every, every week. And it was a, uh, it was a uh, quite a task to schedule everyone because everyone's very busy. And, and then Christy and I have kids and, you know, but, um, and then eventually April Richardson moved away. And, and, uh, and so then I just had to find other people still recording with Mike and Christy and Murray, but, you know, bringing other people into the fold and, you know, and then uh, my nephew was on for many years, Kyle as the mm-hmm. producer slash more of a slash sidekick or co-host, but mm-hmm. um, we miss Kyle. Hopefully someday he'll move back to LA and I'll make him do this again. <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah so now i i just feel like it's uh, it's really loose and free and i can i can have anyone come co-host and and it's just uh it's something that i i'm not tired of i will tell you i still enjoy doing it because if, yeah. if i was tired of it i wouldn't do it anymore you used to have musicians come to your studio come right. to your house and then they yes. you would record that who was the first one that came to your house to do this and, and how did you convince them to do it well no one's see my wife used to have a studio where she would teach uh 
screenwriting classes. Okay. And during the pandemic, we had to give the studio up. Mm. So I haven't yet had anyone come to the house. Okay. But so this I, was an actual like like business that they would come to. Yeah, the, yeah, they came to it was yeah. in Studio City, which is centrally located here in Southern California. And um yeah, so they would come to, yeah, and you know, there's tables and everything. So, yeah, it looked professional. So they weren't like walking in there thinking, what the what's going on here? <laughs> um I have no doubt though that I'll have people at my house once we are th through the tunnel of the pandemic. Yeah. Um but the first the first guest that we had. I think it was it was either either Michael DeBar or it was um, um, I think it was Michael DeBar. Okay. He was the first one. Yeah. And he he showed up and didn't think anything of it. I mean, and that's look, podcasts weren't like a known thing really 11 years ago. Not sure. Not that much at all. So, yeah. It might, or it was either Michael DeBar or Kim Shattuck of the Muffs. Okay. Rock and, rock and Peace Kim Shattuck. But it was, it was one of those two. And then the first, uh, nothing against those people, but the first major guest we had was definitely Melissa Etheridge. Yeah, that's a, that's a great get. Now, what, what made you decide to actually bring in an artist to start, you know, talking to them in person um, rather than just talking amongst yourselves? Um. I it might've been Gary said, we should have a musical guest. I'm like, no one's going to come in here and do this. <laughs> He's like, maybe. So, uh, so we just, uh, you know, we reached out to, I think he knew Kim Shattuck. And I think, I think Michael DeBar might've tweeted like something. And so I, that made me think, well, maybe I should ask him. And then, um, and then when those went well, we were like, all right, well, maybe we'll do this once in a while. But it wasn't mm -hmm. certainly wasn't weekly. Yeah, it wasn't even really monthly. It would just be like I would try to get people. And if I could get them, I would get them. But Melissa Etheridge really opened the door to get other guests, because yeah. when people would ask me an email, they would say, who else has been on the show? Now, even though we had only had like three guests, maybe at that point, I would say. Well, our most recent guest was Melissa Etheridge, you know, semantics, yeah. a little bit of trickery. Yeah. And then um, every guest helps you get the next guest. So I have yeah. through the pandemic, I've amassed such an, an amazing list that it's um, it's still not easy, but it's really helpful when they go down the list. Yeah, it's uh, you've had some tremendous guests. You've had Brian Johnson from ACDC. You've had uh, Rob Halford. I mean, just uh, so many of my heroes been on your show. Uh, you, you talked to Andy Summers recently. Klaus um, from Scorpions. Klaus Minor, yeah, another one. I mean, that was uh, an interesting thing. Where was he when you talked to him? I don't remember. Was he in Germany when you talked to him? He was in Germany. Mike Tramp was in Denmark. So um, I always tell everyone with Zoom, I go, I'll work around your schedule, whatever time works for yeah. you. I don't, if it's six in the morning, my time, so be it. Yeah, you get up early though, right? I do get up early. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast, and I, I see tweets from you in the morning and I'm like, what's he doing up? <laughs> well, like tomorrow's <laughs> Thursday and that's when the new episode drops. So I got to get up and I need to post about it. And if I have a guest, I need to send their PR person the links and the... Mm -hmm. 
and the artwork and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I treat it, I treat it like a job in that respect. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't want to let anyone down. I never want anyone to think this was a waste of their time or right. that I wasn't holding up my end of the bargain. You're a professional. I'm, I'm, I try to be professional yeah. with this. Yeah. Was Melissa the first artist that you thought you thought I can't get that person. And then you got them or was there someone else that, that you were like, ah, they're never going to say yes, but then they said yes. Um, I think I just went after Melissa and I got her. So it was kind of dumb luck. And then I still remember right after I recorded that episode, me and Gary and, uh, and I was in my car on the way home and I was just like, I was so elated. Like I'd never felt like this during, after the podcast, cause I was giddy and she was so, she was so lovely. I mean, it was like, mm -hmm. it was real. And I'm like, I just, it was one of those things where you're like, I can't believe that just happened. Did that just happen? I guess it did. Yeah. So. Yeah. Doing this show, I've, you know, I've had people say, how did you get so-and-so? How did you get Gilmore from Triumph to be on your show? And I'm like, I asked. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's, that's what it comes down to is there's two things they can say. They can say yes, or they can say no. Or they can ignore you, so which is a no. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have to be afraid. You, you know, you're just trying to do a show, and if they say no, they say no. But you don't. You're really good at not taking no for an answer, at least uh, you know until they tell you to stop emailing. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I uh, there's an episode coming up in a couple of weeks. It's a meatloaf episode where we cover Bad Out of Hell uh, one, two, and three. Me and Mike Schmidt. Oh, that. At one point, <laughs> it, it's it's four hours long. I'll tell you that. But. <laughs> At one point in the show, we read an email uh, chain back and forth between me and Yola's people. Just, uh, I just wanted to do that. Uh, I'm actually, I'm reading my part and Mike's reading the PR people just so people can see that I, that I just keep, I don't really take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think it'll be, uh, I think that's, I don't want to say eye opening. That sounds crazy, but I, I, I thought it was interesting, you know, cause he was like, you know, at this point, dude, a normal person would have this, that's it. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, but is it over? It's really not over. Yeah. But, um, as you know, with getting Gilmore, he's in Canada mm -hmm. with zoom, it's opened us up to first really of all, has. who says no to do to doing zoom from their house yeah for one thing most people will do it and then you know when i would have people in studio i could only pull from people that lived in the southern california area now that's a big that's a big base of musicians for sure mm -hmm. but brian johnson was in florida and as we said klaus was in germany and rob halford i think was in arizona so i wouldn't have had a chance to get those if I didn't do the Zoom interviews. Yeah. Have you gotten a little more comfortable doing that? I know you didn't care for it at first or it didn't seem like you did at first. Um, it was uh, it was weird at first. I think Dennis DeYoung was my first. And um, what a way to start. <laughs> I know, right? And he was just, and he was so great. And then he came back on literally a year to the day later. And by then I had figured out how to do it. And so had he. Yeah. So, um, but it just, it didn't feel like I was as connected. Now I do. Now I do feel totally connected. Yeah. Dennis is great. Dennis was the first guy that I said, why shouldn't I ask for him? Like I got, I got a, a press release from the PR firm and I, it said, here's a new release. And I'm like, well, for press inquiries, 
call this number. What you know, I'm like, why not ask for him? Right. And it worked out. And then that just kind of set the table for everybody that came afterwards. And then yeah, plus I mean, you, yeah. you can then also say, Hey, I mean, Dennis DeYoung did my show. Why wouldn't you do my show? Kind exactly. Of thing, yeah, know? exactly. Um, I've been trying for, uh, for Tommy Shaw for a while. And it's uh, again, that, that isn't over yet, but when the new album just came out, I reached out for Tommy and they said, how would Friday be? And I said, perfect. So I sent the link and everything. And I said, uh, you know, just to reconfirm for Tommy for tomorrow. And they said, Oh, this isn't for Tommy. This is for um, Lawrence. And I said, no, I said, no, they baited switched you there. Yeah. I said, I said, I'm sorry. I can't talk about the history of sticks with Lawrence Gallon. He's, he's on three or four albums. He's just, I can't do it. No, I like him. Yeah. Nothing against him, but I thought it was getting Tommy. So, and they were like, okay, sorry, sorry for the confusion or whatever. But yeah, I didn't. Cause I, I don't know. I mean, maybe some people would just say, if it was earlier on, I might've just said, okay, that's fine. We'll do Lawrence, mm -hmm. but no. Yeah. I've been doing it a while now. You, you, you know how this is, this goes, you, you know, you know what to do and, and you know, when you're being played. Yeah. And I mean, Tommy's done other shows, yeah. you know, that's another thing too. Like if I see, if I see someone that I can't, that I haven't been able to get, and then all of a sudden they're on other podcasts and then I'll look up the other podcasts and I'll be like, well, these, these shows are good, but I've been around longer. I have more episodes. I've had more guests. So then I'll, you know, I'll go, Hey, what's going on? You know, mm -hmm. I can't get Richard Marks and I don't understand why I just, I don't, I can't get any play on Richard Marks. It's because he won't get off Twitter long enough. He won't get off Twitter long enough. <laughs> I tweet at him and um, doesn't help. Yeah. Is there still like a, a holy grail person out there that you want to get on the show um, that you haven't been able to get or that maybe you came close to getting and, and just didn't work out or whatever? Um, I do have uh, I do have two holy grails. and I, I believe they'll happen sometime uh it would be chrissy hind is my number one mm -hmm. rick springfield was my number one for the longest time and i and i was able to get him yeah and then and jackson brown would probably be my number two yeah and you were just on uh recently on records revisited doing uh jackson brown show with uh yeah. my favorite jackson brown album holdout good i'm glad to hear that that's your favorite also it's and again i tell people this that doesn't mean it's the best one but it's my favorite. Yeah. It was the first one I owned and that's probably, you know, there's a, there's an association there. Yeah, me too. That's the same. I mean, that's, I can, I can tell you many albums that it's the first one I owned and it's my favorite queen, the game, Billy Joel, glass houses, uh, you know, hold out. I mean, it's the rib Bruce Springsteen, the river. I mean, these are just, there's something about the first one. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I wanted to do with is, is to have you on is to, I know you're a big cheap trick guy. That's my band. That's you my love favorite. cheap trick. And one of my first records that I just played to death was at Budokan. And, and I know that you're a big fan of that album as well. And we're going to talk about the original 10 track at Budokan. There it is. There it is. Oh, beautiful. That's in 
that looks fantastic. It's well, this shiny. is again, it's from the uh, it's from the uh, box set that was released a couple years ago. It's yeah. got the uh, it's I mean, this is pristine. The it's it's 180 gram vinyl, but it feels it feels heavier than that, to be honest. It's yeah. got the, the book in it, everything. And nice. oh, it's got the uh, it's got the orange label too so yeah. yeah great this was probably one of the first albums that i owned it wasn't my first album but mm -hmm. it was one of my first for sure do you, do you remember your first album what was your first album that you owned I, I believe it was eagles their greatest hits okay yeah uh i remember very clearly getting my stereo for christmas with three ktel records yeah from my well, parents and one of them work. was one of them was goofy greats <laughs> oh, I had that. And then what, like, I think one was Hit Machine, and I forget what the name of the other one was, like, uh, Out of Sight, I think it was. And, uh, you know, just went from there. And I think then it was like, okay, these are good songs, and I'm playing these, and they're fine. And then I discovered uh, this band, Kiss. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody in the Midwest was listening to Kiss Alive, and my friend had it, and then I had to have it. And it just kind of went from there. And then when, uh, you know, when I heard Cheap Trick singing about getting their Kiss records out. It's kind of cool. That was very cool. <laughs> it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, those guys, they get me. They know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember uh, I didn't have Kiss Alive for the longest time. My first two Kiss albums were Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun because I got them from the Columbia Record and Tape Club. And I think those were the two that were available. And so I checked the boxes on both of those for sure. Yeah. Now, when you when you talk about your first stereo, was it like an all-in-one deal, or was oh, it components? Yeah. Okay, it was it was uh, it was a Sears stereo on a like it had a little stand mm -hmm. and had one speaker on each side, and then the thing on the top, and it had a had the AM/FM radio. It had an eight-track player. Wow, and and the turntable, and then underneath it was like these was like the record storage place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, and then I got one a few years later that was just basically an upgrade of the same thing. <laughs> so. Yeah, and then when you finally got a component system, you that was uh, you thought you were a big shot. Oh yeah, I'm now an audiophile. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. Michael, how long have same. you been doing this show? This thing started out as a newsletter, so it started out as a, I, I lost my job during the pandemic. I'm sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, I was out of work for four months and I wasn't really getting a lot of traction in the job market. And I'm a I'm a writer and I work in communication. So I started this. I started just write stories and I'm like, oh, yeah. I could do album reviews and I can do, you know, listicles, you know, like rank Billy Joel's albums or whatever, you know. And I'll just do that and see if I can maybe get some subscribers and things like that. It, and just a little bit into it, I got called back to work. So that was great. I didn't have time to do it quite as much anymore, but I figured I would still keep on. And I had all these interviews because I started talking to bands about, um, you know, the 15th anniversary of this progressive rock bands album, you know, or whatever. And then I had all these videos, uh, you know, I did the Zoom call, I recorded them, I put them on, on the YouTube. I was like, well, I can't use all the quotes, so I'll just put up the video and people can see the whole thing. Gotcha. And then in June of last year, I had been doing the newsletter for about six months and putting up the videos. I went, why not just make this into a podcast? I just take the audio and throw in some music and 
you know, bumper yep. at the beginning and end and boom, it's a, it's a podcast. And so it I'm is. Doing, podcast has been going for six months. Are you a, are you a single guy? Are you uh married with kids? Married with kids. And, and so uh, you're, you're in your man cave right now, your office. My man cave. Yep. And uh, what did the family think when you, cause my kids have known me doing this almost their whole, I mean, they're 21 and 17, but I mean, at 10 and six, you know, they, they just have known this all the time. Yeah. What did your, what did your, what did everyone think in the house when you said you're going to do a podcast? Uh, well, I've done other podcasts for some of the sports work that I do. Okay. I do, I do some things on the side, uh, cover college football, I cover some soccer. And so podcasts are, have been something I've been doing for years. And I think about 10 years was when I first started wow. doing sports podcasts. And so that wasn't a big surprise. And my daughter, she just turned 13. She loves anything having to do with, you know, the internet. So if you're on YouTube, you're a rock star to her. You're a rock star. Yeah. So she thought it was pretty cool. I started interviewing you, but I do want to ask you one more question. <laughs> sure. When you, when you interviewed Gilmore, did they set you up with, were you able to see the documentary before you interviewed? Yes. Him? Yes. In fact, that was what I did in, I probably shouldn't say this, but I was, uh, I, I saw that they've been inducted to the rock and roll hall of, or the heavy metal hall of fame. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they had the, the documentary coming out. And I said, I'd love to have somebody from the band on the show, talk about the documentary and the, the heavy metal hall of fame. And I think it was also, uh, there was something else I wanted to talk about. that was kind of happening at the time. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was, but I had all these things. So it's like, okay, I have specific things that they want to promote. I'd like to talk to them about it. Yeah. Knowing that once I get them talking, I can ask them whatever, you know? Right. <laughs> and I didn't know who they would give me. In fact, I just, I just went through their website. I just said, I found the contact information said, I'd like to talk to them. I have this show and here's some of the guests I've had. Just, you know, like you said, let yeah. your guests get you the next guest. Right. And they got back to me and we set it up. And unfortunately, Gil was a no show the first time he got caught. That happens. Work. Yeah. That happens yeah. too. And I would, he was like the one I was like really excited about. And then there was, you know, there's that letdown because he didn't show, but he was very gracious. He did the whole interview in his car. Uh, well, because he, he doesn't was hear he so driving? well. No, he, he just doesn't hear well. So he does these zoom things with, he takes his tablet in the car. Okay. And because this car stereo, he can hear it better. Ah, uh, okay. That makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. So it was great. But they, yeah, they set me up with a, a, a link to see the documentary and it was fantastic. Yeah. I, um, you know, one of the things I do, cause I, I, I always want to get tickets, free tickets for shows. I always want to get, if I want to hear an album in advance, if I get a press release, I say, can you, Oh, can you service me a download? Uh, so we can talk about the album on the show. Boom. That always comes through. Hey, I see this documentary is coming out. Can you, is it, do you have a link that I can see, watch this? Boom. That happens. So yeah, you because those are sometimes those are the rewards of doing this. Yeah. So lean into that, Michael. Oh, I do. And you don't uh, you don't it's you know, nobody's getting rich doing the podcasts or no. at least not a whole lot of people. So no. um, it's nice to have one little perk that you can kind of point to. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun, as you know. And, you know, you have you have a good time with your, you know, your co-hosts when you have them on, even if you're yeah. just doing a, a track by track for guns and roses or whatever. Um, it, it really comes across that you, that you have fun together and that you like the music. Yeah. I mean, I never have to, um, 
I never have to twist anyone's arm to get over here to record. You know, my friends always enjoy doing it. So yeah, that's fun. Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about cheap trick at Budokan. All right. Uh, what's your cheap trick origin story where, you know, how did you become aware of them as a band? Cheap trick at Budokan. I heard, mm -hmm. I, I want you to want me live version on the radio. Mm -hmm. I had never really heard a live song as a single on the radio and just that I want you to want me. I mean, they introduced the song for you. Yeah, they do. I want you to want me. I'm going to say that with this album, the stage pattern is just as iconic as the songs. Yeah. So I was like, I've never heard anything like this before. I didn't know what power pop was. I didn't know. I just knew what I'd been hearing on the radio and I had never heard this. And the, and the name cheap trick. Uh, that's that's cool. What does that mean? I don't even know. And then you go and you buy the album and there's these good looking guys on the cover yeah. and you flip it over and you're like, who, who are these idiots? <laughs> Who's this guy, this goofy guy and this accountant, what are, what's yeah. going on? Whose dad is on the back of this album. <laughs> so I'm just looking at this, like, well, there's something here for everybody. And then you take this thing home and you open it up, it's a gatefold and it's got like a 12 page booklet and there's stuff written in Japanese. What's going on here? I don't, I'm confused. What? And then from start to finish, there is just pure excitement in the grooves of this record. Yeah. For me, it's the best live album. Now you can tell me UFO strangers in the night. Sure. That's good. You can tell me many live albums that are great. Frampton Comes Alive, Kiss Alive. But this, there's something about this 10-track, one-disc vinyl collection that it's just the sweet spot for me. When I, I listened to it, the vinyl today, and it just took me right back to 1979 when I purchased it. Yeah, It's just, and the, the album moves. It's just, it's just exciting. Yeah. You and it feels like you feel like you're there. You know, there's crowd noise and you feel you know, and you don't feel like anything's been overdubbed in the studio because it's it's just live it really it's just live. I love it. Yeah. And that you can tell that this is a band that has it I had heard, like you, I had heard this uh, I want you to want me was the first thing I'd heard from Cheap Trick the live version. 
and you can tell that this is a band that is so energetic and is feeding off of these screams and all this cheering to the point where when you finally get around and you you hear the studio version of i want you to want me you're like is this the same band right and even though i like that version it's cool it's just you're like how did how did they get from that studio version to this but then we know that the live version is really what the original version was supposed to be like that we mm-hmm. we didn't get to hear until bonus tracks and all that stuff came out also this kicks off with a song called hello there I didn't know that that was a studio song. I just thought this band wrote a song to <laughs> just for the concert and good night. Yes. Now they, they wrote these two things to bookend the concert. Then this album has, it has an encore on the album because track nine is good night now. Yeah. And then boom clock strikes 10. It's yeah. just, I mean, this next one is the first song on our new album and then it just came out this week week, and the song is called surrender i mean this is a brand new one starts with mr bunny carlos i mean (laughs) then there's a cover ain't that a shame that they make this cover their own and there's a drum solo it starts out with bunny just jamming on the drums and that's just I love doing that on the steering wheel when I have this album in the car. <laughs> yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Da-ga-da-ga, boom, boom, boom. I just it's amazing. It's, the album, it has everything you want. And you get in and you get out. It yeah. doesn't leave you, it leaves you, it doesn't really leave you wanting more. It leaves you satisfied. Yeah. 10 songs, 42 minutes. Yep. Things sold three million plus copies, triple yep. platinum, uh, recorded in april of 78 at the budokan tokyo but the audio was allegedly from osaka that was used on the album okay it was a smaller venue and i guess the sound was better sounds better yeah it was the fourth album in the cheap trick discography it came out after the self-titled album in color and heaven tonight but just after heaven tonight obviously and it wasn't supposed to be released here it was a japanese only thing that i don't know how it made its way across the pond to where to where the record company said oh we need to we need to release this here too i mean dream police was ready to drop and they had to push dream police a little bit to drop this in and it's good that they did Mm -hmm. and i believe uh need your love debuted on this album right and then before it was on a studio album yep and then um and since i was unfamiliar with their studio catalog this is all i knew 
Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know that Lookout is only on this album. I mean, there's a again, there's a studio version now mm-hmm. that was released on the subsequent, you know, CD bonus tracks, etc. But um, yeah, it's. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's just fantastic. <laughs> so, 2003, Rolling Stone came out with their 500 greatest albums of all time, and this one uh, was placed 426 which I think is too low, but then subsequent Rolling Stones, 500 greatest albums of all time have knocked this out of their top 500. So there's probably not even a cheap trick album on that. No, there isn't. Yeah. Sad, but it is what it is. This album though was selected by the library of Congress for inclusion in the U S recording registry uh, for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Nice. I think we can agree it's aesthetically significant. Yeah. I'm not sure about the historically or, or culturally, but hey, I'll take it. Cheap Trick came out with Budokan 2 in 1994. It had some leftover tracks from, from this and, and some others, 1979 Japanese appearances. Yep. They released at Budokan the complete concert, two-disc set in 98 on the album's 20th anniversary, and that expanded the album to 19 songs from the original 10 and I find that for me, I don't know if it's this way for you, but I really prefer the 10 track version. And I can't, it, it's not that I don't like the songs on the, on the 19 track version. It's not that they're not good. It's that I'm just kind of, it just kind of throws me off. And especially with not even just the inclusion of the new songs, it's the order, the order of some of the songs is, is different on the, uh, the bigger one. Right. And, um, I agree with you. It's um, it's great to have the uh, the two disc nineteen track version as a historical document, but it never has taken the place of the single disc version and whatever the sequencing is on this. Mm-hmm. And I even um, I went to a, a cheap trick. I think it was the night albums used to be released on a Tuesday, so I think it was Monday night. They played at the Roxy out here, and they played the Budokan set list, the two disc version set list. Then after that, we walk down to tower records and we buy it and they're signing stuff that night. Wow. So, and I'm going to, I'm going to get out of my seat. I'm going to go grab something. Okay. Yeah. You got autographs. I know you're an autograph guy. So the, yeah, this is an album that peaked at number four on the billboard 200 albums chart went number one in Canada, number two in Holland, number 10 in New Zealand, number 26 in Sweden, and number 29 in the UK. All right. This, this I had signed that night. Let me turn, I'm going to turn this O-light off. Wow. This I had signed that night. Uh, These were like, these were panels that were on the wall as promotional things. And I took them off the wall. And then uh, (laughs) they all signed it with a gold marker, gold paint pen. And then I... I had it framed in this gold frame. And this is one of my favorite things. I also have one of Rick's picks that is yeah. under the glass. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorites. How many things do you have signed by Cheap Trick? Oh, by Cheap Trick. Um, I think at one time I had almost every studio album signed. I have um, I have everyone's autograph except uh, Pete Comita. I have John Brandt's autograph. I have Dax's autograph. Yeah, I've, I've just, I've uh, like, my wife will say, 
why are you going to get cheap tricks autograph again? I'm like, I don't know. Cause I, I can, I guess, because it's fun, <laughs> yeah. but I do have their autograph uh, more than anyone else. Yeah. How many times have you seen them? Uh, 40 plus. Wow. But wow. I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them in a while now, you know? So, yeah. um, I want, I want to, I want, I hopefully <laughs> be able to go again. That's amazing. I've only seen them a couple of times and they were the opening act both times. Um, I think both times for REO Speedwagon, in fact, but uh, every bit as good as the headliner. I mean, yeah. you would, you don't want this band to open for you. Well, not when I first moved, I moved out here in 95 and from 95 through like 2000, 2001, they would play in LA like four times a year. And as the headliner, and they would play at all these places like the Roxy or the House of Blues or the Canyon Club, all these super small venues. Mm -hmm. And if they had a new album out, they would lean heavy on the new album. You know, they'd play five or six songs and um, it was easy to meet them after the show. And so uh, now whenever they go out, it, they're always on a package tour. So you get, you know, you get a set list that's going to appeal to the masses. So you don't really get any deep cuts or anything like we yeah. used to, but. How much harder is it now to get an autograph after a show than it was 20, 25 years ago? Well, I think it's easier now. Really? I never even tried. I never, tr I never started to get autographs until I moved out here. Mm -hmm. Like people said, Oh, how did you get, how did you get Pete Townsend's autograph? I said, Oh, I waited 30 years and 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because um i wouldn't have even thought that you could do it like when i was in high school and college that would yeah. have seemed impossible but i think it's i think it's really easy maybe yeah. maybe i mean you know i just tell people you know go to where the buses are find the artist entrance find the town car that has the sticker on the back so you're like oh that's that's one of the cars that they're going to be driving in yeah i find it to be easy oh, okay good yeah i know i just know that you know security now is is a lot different than it was 25 years ago you could you go around the back of any building you could even walk into a lot of them probably <laughs> well i don't um i don't listen to the security because it's usually just their handlers yeah i got meatloaf's autograph one night and his handlers like Meatloaf's not signing anything tonight because he saw I had my albums. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And he's like, you can't stand here. I'm like, I think I can. It's, you know, it's just on the <laughs> sidewalk. And, uh, and he goes, no, you have to go across the street. All right. He goes, and Meat's not signing. So, and sometimes we'll even say, Meat, Meat's already gone. I'm like, no, he's not. Yeah. How could he be? Well, I, so finally Meatloaf comes out and I just yell. I say, hey, Meat, can we get a couple of signatures? Come on over. And this guy is so angry because I've just, <laughs> I've just pulled the carpet out from underneath him. Yeah, like he's, yeah. He's been doing everything he could do. And maybe most of the time people just go, okay, thanks. And they leave. I never mm -hmm. leave. I just never leave. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, you took his power away from him. He, I he, took his power. <laughs> of, uh, same with Ted Nugent one night. This guy, and he was really, he was, I'm not tall, but this guy was shorter than me by like mm -hmm. a couple inches. And he was like throwing around that short man complex. And he's like, 
Ted's not, same thing. No, 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 no. Same thing. Ted, can yeah. we get some signatures? Come on over. Sign stuff, talk to us. Yeah. Didn't seem to be a problem. No, it's not. I, I tell you, I have, I have a little bit of empathy for them. I've, having worked in pro sports, I've, I've had to take players through crowded areas before. And yeah. you're just trying to like, I got to get him to point B and he will sign anything. And I have to try to do what I can to sort of speed up the process. Kind right. Of thing. So, yeah, I get it. One night uh, we saw we saw a cheap trick. It wasn't New Year's Eve. It was the day before New Year's Eve. And they were at the, they were going to play the venue both nights, the 30th and the 31st. Mm -hmm. So it was the 30th and tons of people waiting out back after the show. And they came out and they very nicely said, look, it's the holidays. Most, we all, we all have our families here. So if it's okay, we, we're not going to sign stuff tonight. And then Bunny said, well, I'll stick around and sign stuff. They go, okay, Bunny's going to sign stuff. But if it's if it's fine with everyone, we we want to go spend the time with our families, and everyone was like, "Okay, cool." Yeah. And then Bunny stayed and signed everything. Nice. You know they 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 made it a point to just tell us what was going on. I thought that was kind of cool because, you know, if you just rush to your car and ignore everyone, then everyone's like, "Oh, what a dick." <laughs> so. Yeah. What do you think it is about this band that they were never able to? really capture on a studio album what they were able to do live do you think it was just the producer what you know what what do you think created that difference i don't know i think this um again i think the live album was an oddity to get airplay on the radio with i want you to want me a live single i just think it was uh you know they have albums that people like and that have gone platinum but mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i just don't know i am um, you know, for me, the first six or seven albums are all solid. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. And then when they had the comeback in 88 with the flame, that was all, that was like, that was unheard of. A number one single after we haven't done anything for like six or seven years, no chart success. Yeah. They just keep doing it. They're like, yeah. they just keep on like that energizer bunny. They keep going. It's an auto buy for you. They say we're coming out with a new album. You're already like, where do I order it? I have been a day day of release, cheap trick album purchaser since Dream Police. Wow, because that was the first one that came out after Budokan. So yeah. uh, that said, the the three most recent albums I do not care for. Yeah, just not. I don't like them. All right, Robin Zander, lead vocals, rhythm guitar. Rick Nielsen, lead guitar, backing vocals, Tom Peterson, bass, and backing vocals, and Bunny Carlos on drums on this album. Do you have a favorite member? Uh, Tom. And I've been trying to get Tom on the show, and uh, he's still not 100% yet from the surgery, from the heart surgery. Mm. But I do believe that will happen. Um, I'm not interested in talking to Rick because I just, I just find him to be a bad interview. He just... I, I don't... I don't think he gives a straight answer. I like Robin. Uh, I've tried for Bunny and he just said, he told me, he said when COVID's over. So I, I'm like, well, we're, we're going to do it over Zoom. We're not going to do it in person. You're in Illinois. And he just said, yeah, not right now. And Tom's the guy that, um, he's the coolest for me. 
He's yeah. cool. Yeah. He plays that so, 12 string bass. No one else plays that. Mm-hmm. It just looks cool. So Rick wrote most of the songs on this album. Uh, there's a few that are co-written. And of course, the the, the cover, Ain't That a Shame, the Fats Domino cover. Uh, but you, like you said, they come out of the gate with, All right, Tokyo! Yep. And the introduction of the band, Hello There, they jump into Come On, Come On, Look Out, as you mentioned. And then for me, probably the highlight of the first the first side is Big Eyes. Uh, do you have a favorite on the on the first side? Boy, that's so. T- I mean, the, the just that three in the center. Come on, come on, look out into big eyes is just all killer. And then need your love. It's an it's an epic ballad. Mm-hmm. But and again, I had never heard anything like need your love in my life up to that point. Just that slow, and then that. I mean, yeah. just who writes amazing. a nine minute ballad? <laughs> yeah it's it's just it's it's there's nothing like it up until that point for me but uh yeah, i mean I, I i i can't there's there's nothing on the album that i don't love yeah did was there one side that you played more than the other or was it always one two one two one two yeah i always played one two one yeah i i don't favor any any side i mean you know side b's got I want you to want me into surrender. And even though I don't, um, I don't really care about hearing. I want you to want me played by them live. Now I'm still not tired of the version that's on this album Mm -hmm. Uh, and surrender. They can play that twice within their set. Now, if they want, I love surrender. Yeah. That song's got so much going on lyrically for me. Yeah, it goes, ain't that a shame? I want you to want me, surrender. And then they hit goodnight now and you're like, oh, it's over already. <laughs> They're saying goodnight after those three songs. 
And then this guy makes his guitar sound like a cuckoo clock yeah. or whatever you want to call it for clock strikes 10. Yeah. yeah the, the chimes. Yeah. And <laughs> you're right. You're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is fantastic. Yeah. highlights is of course you talk about ain't that a shame and the, the bunny carlos bit but also the the trading of the guitar licks at the end of that song mm -hmm. just yep amazing Um, Ain't That a Shame was the second single off the album. It was two, a live album with two singles. It went to number 35 on the Billboard Hot 100. And I Want You to Want Me was the first single. It went as far as number seven. And the songs that were left off on the original version were Hello Kitty's Speak Now or Forever Hold Your Peace, Downed, Can't Hold On, Oh Caroline, Avedar Sane, High Roller, Southern Girls, California Man, and of course, as I mentioned, some of the, the tracking order is different on the, yeah. the 19 song version. What you've now had a chance to go back and listen to these other songs. If you could put one of these songs on the original, if somebody said you have to put one of these on, <laughs> which one would you put? I think I'd throw Southern Girls on there. Yeah. Because a lot of the ones you named are are like mid-tempo and a little evil. And this album is a fun live album. It's it's upbeat other than, you know, Need Your Love brings us down. It, like if you're listening on CD, that brings mm -hmm. you down in the middle and then you come right back up. So, uh, yeah, but Southern Girls is, I love it. And I love all the songs you just named. But yeah. if I'm going to keep the pace of the one disc going, I would put Southern Girls. How many versions of Budokan do you own? Uh, I have the I have the LP... I have um, remastered uh, Japanese single disc, uh, remastered Japanese yeah. double disc that comes in a mini album sleeve. Mm -hmm. Probably just those three, but I mean, over the years, 
I'm big on the, uh, oh, they oh, a new version. Oh, and I also have the box set with the DVD and the other night. Yeah. Um, but I mean, over the years, if, if I'm a sucker for, oh, it's remastered with bonus tracks. All right. But Do then I get it? rid of my old one. If I get, <laughs> if I get the new version, I don't keep, like, I don't have those cheap trick, uh, the old CDs that had the, the white, the red writing on the white spine. You know what I'm talking oh, yeah. about? Yeah. Um, another thing about the album is, you know, the record label, because the intro says, we welcome epic recording artists, cheap trick. I mean, yeah. you even know the label that these guys are on. Like they're, yeah. they're letting you know every single thing. I don't even think, I can't remember the last time I heard that at a concert, but it used to be fairly common. Yeah. It's like Capitol yep. Records artists, you know, or whatever, you know, yeah. it, they don't do that anymore. Do they? No. Crazy. Uh, my biggest disappointment with cheap trick is that Tom hasn't sung a song since dream police on record. And I think that he should be singing one song every record. I mean, when Robin Zander's your singer, should you step up to the mic? No. <laughs> but <laughs> I think it would be cool if Tom, that would be that would be one of the questions I would ask Tom. I'd say, how come you haven't sang a song since Dream Police on on record? There's gotta be one he could sing. Come on. Yeah. I wonder that too. Sometimes there's bands that that, that happens that there's three or four guys who sing. And then as they go along, it's fewer and fewer Yeah, until it's just one. And you're like, what happened? You just not want to do it anymore. (laughs) And you put all the power in the singer's hand too. That's why bunnies, that's why bunnies not there anymore. Yeah. I lost track of them for a while and it was a surprise to me that bunny wasn't with them anymore. And when I, when I reconnected with them and I never really went back and got that story, but it sounds like you've, reached out to him to get him on the show. Were you going to talk to him about, you know, the whole thing? Um, No, I, 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 when there's, when there's bands that have uh, a past that's not good with the other members, I always tell their PR people, no drama, just talking about the music. Yeah. I was very close to having Steve Perry over Christmas when his Christmas album came out. Mm -hmm. And I told them, I'm not going to talk about that stuff. I'm only going to talk about the music. Yeah. And then they came back with, well, Steve doesn't want to talk about journey at all. And I said, all right, I'll just talk about his solo albums. Cause I wanted to have them on. Yeah. And I True. knew that I knew the tangentially is that the word that I could bring journey up without, you know, going track by track on infinity or something. Like right. That. Right. So, but yeah, I always tell these people, because I know that a lot of times they don't, they don't want uh, some tabloid stuff coming in. They don't want they don't want to talk. So I let I do I let them know when there's artists yeah. like that. I let them know I'm not that's not what I'm I'm not interested in that. Right, and I'm, you know you're not. This isn't blabbermouth. You're not trying to get the 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 quote that gets retweeted a million right. times. Yeah. It's I went through that too because I I when I reached out to Dennis DeYoung's people and they said you know I was, I said I just want to talk about you know his career and and the new album yeah and I I wasn't going to bring up Tommy or those guys at all and next thing I know Dennis is just launching into oh yeah he brings it up you don't have <laughs> yeah, to he yeah. brings it up that's cool <laughs> yeah. why not 
Yeah. And I'll talk about it if they want to talk about it, but I'm not going to be the guy who says, you know, this guy that you don't get along with, what's up with that? Yeah. Right. And that's what I, that's when I, when I reach out to get Tommy, I always say, I'm not interested in talking about Dennis. I do want to talk about Tommy's songs in sticks from crystal ball to the, uh, to the new album, but you know, and I want to talk about Shaw blades and damn Yankees and that stuff, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spring a Dennis question on yeah. Tom. <laughs> yeah. So is Dennis ever gonna be back in the band? Yeah, you don't want to bring that one up. <laughs> yeah, I wanna, you know, we'll see what happens when they get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame sometime. Oh, and yeah. I did go, I did see Cheap Trick get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they blew the place apart, even though I I knew the songs they would sing. I knew it would be Dream Police, Surrender, I Want You to Want Me. I knew it would be those three. Mm-hmm. But they just, um, there was a guy standing next to me and he, he turned to his girlfriend. He goes, why is cheap trick closing the night? And then when they were done, I said, that's why. <laughs> Cause you don't want no to follow, else them. follow that. You don't want to follow cheap trick. I, I mean, it's, there's nothing in it for you, but a, a loss of, you know, estimation, you know, by comparison. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a great time seeing, seeing REO Speedwagon. They were fantastic, but they had to work at being fantastic because Cheap Trick was so good. Well, I saw, I saw Cheap Trick open. This was uh, not that long ago at the Greek Theater. Cheap Trick opened for, I'll call them Fake Foreigner or Foreigner, um, as my friend Dave Festini calls them, Foreigner. <laughs> foreigner. Um, and Cheap Trick opened for it. Now, this is a band that's only got one original member, Mick Jones. And sometimes Mick doesn't even come out till song six. But I can tell you, Cheap Trick could not have followed Fake Foreigner. They were that, they're good. I mean, if you're in the audience and, you're, and you, you just know the songs and you don't know the makeup of the band, they sound like Foreigner. Yeah. And Kelly Hansen on lead vocal, he's an energetic front man. And he can sing great. So, uh, so yeah, it made sense that Cheap Trick opened because they couldn't have followed that. Yeah. And well, Foreigner has more hits. Yeah. They have legit hits. Yeah. They have, they have the really big, big hits. <laughs> they have the really big hits. They have yeah. songs that people play at their weddings. It's, yeah. I will tell you this about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We had, I had press pass. I got to the venue super early, like no one was in the arena. And so I got down on the floor and I was able to walk amongst the tables where the bands that were getting inducted were sitting. And so Cheap Tricks table was right in the center and they, there's name cards, Tom, Robin, Rick, Rick's wife, Dax. And I'm trying to find where Bunny's sitting the whole way in the back, like as far away from that table as you can buy like he was the back row of tables wow i know i was just like wow and he's gonna get up there and they're gonna play together but they won't they can't sit together for an hour or two and then i was in the press room when they came in and the four of them are on this little stage taking questions and someone asked robin what's it like to be playing with your old drummer again and robin just said he's not that old it's yeah. like it was like wow you, i mean you could you could feel it 
yeah deflect deflect a little bit make a joke yeah. out of it kind of thing yeah yeah that's rough but you know they're people too and they have uh, beefs just like anyone else yep just like uh, mike know. mike would you have a do you where does cheap trick rank among live i mean budokan rank among live albums for you top three what are those three um, it's it's got to be at the top three kiss alive was the first rock album by one band that i ever owned so it's very special to me right um so those two those those might be one and two yeah those those might be one and two right there but there's you know obviously frampton comes live is huge who live at leeds is a good one yeah yeah there's all kinds of but though yeah those are probably one and two and cool. they could go either way on any given day but probably kiss alive just because it's it's got that one connection of being my first one but yeah for sure cheap tricks at budokan my favorite album from the band and i got dream police not too long after that i think it was for my birthday or something and so they're very very close because i got them pretty close together yeah so uh just you know it, it was a long time actually before i went back and heard the rest of their catalog the earlier catalog and then you know moving forward beyond uh beyond dream police but uh your very favorite band you'd say yeah i mean if someone asks what a favorite band is that's i mean i've seen them more than any other band yeah i've i've met them many times i have autographs you know out the wazoo so uh yeah it's just uh i'm just disappointed with the new output which is hard but um because you want your band to you know keep you excited and sure. um you know i think i think rick doesn't have songs in him anymore so they're writing by committee i just find that lyrically some of the lyrics are dumb and immature i just and the and for and the production um they've been using a guy julian raymond and i believe now he's just a yes man like i don't think he's pushing the band yeah so he's not he's not giving them let's try it this way no i don't he's just I, he's just going along with what they do the first time yeah i mean let let dave grohl produce a cheap trick album someone that might push them <laughs> yeah maybe they can but, write with uh, jim peterick or something yeah yeah he worked well with dennis yeah he did he really did and it's the funny thing is i've 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 come across about i think four artists that have worked with jim peterick and they don't sound like Jim Peterick. They sound like themselves. They don't sound, they're not doing survivor songs, right? They're doing their songs that sound like them, but he has helped them find their voice. Well, from what I heard, he, he has produced a new Chicago album. Really? Yeah. And uh, if that's true, I'm very interested in hearing that. Yeah, for sure. That'd be it's, exciting. Like, it's like when Jeff Lynn produces you, it all starts to sound a little like Jeff Lynn, even though I love Jeff Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. So Cloud nine would, would sound a lot like, uh, you know, the, the, the Tom Petty albums and the, the Wilbury albums that yeah. he produced. Yeah. Yep. I get that. Since you had Dennis on the show, I want to tell you a Dennis the young story. All right. Um, he played this really small, uh, outdoor theater out here. It's called the, uh, is it the Ford amphitheater, the John Ford amphitheater? It holds about a thousand people and there's a, 
there's no there's there's no security in front of the stage it's like your front row and then the stage there's like not a barrier right they have security there you yeah know, not a barrier so um uh my friend and i go to see him and i take two albums i take grand illusion because he's playing grand illusion that night and then i take uh desert moon uh dennis solo album because i always find that if you take a solo album with you with the band album it kind of ingratiates you like they they know you're a fan yeah. in my head that's how i think it works so i'm about 15 rows back and my friend has never this friend has never been with me when i'm in action to get an autograph so he says to me how are you going to get those signed i go oh well i looked at the set list i know what the last song is and right when they start playing the last song i'm going to walk right up to that stage and with my sharpie uncapped and my album and i'm just going to hold them up and my friend said you think that's going to work and i go yeah I think it's going to work. <laughs> so that last song starts to play. I put, uh, what I, don't, I forget which one. No, no, I put Grand Illusion on the front. And uh, I walk up to the stage and I don't stick it up immediately because I don't want to block anyone's view. But as they're, as they're wrapping it up, I hold the album up and I hear a guy behind me and he says, there's no way, dude. There's no way he's signing that out. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't even turn around because I don't want to lose focus right so dennis is coming you know down the stage and you know shaking hands and slapping five and stuff and he sees me and he says motions me yeah i hand, I hand him the album in the sharpie signs it and then he feels that there's another album behind it so he and it's desert moon and he looks at it and he looks at me and he gave me that yep yeah and he signed that one too and he hands him back to me <laughs> And as I turn around to walk back to row 15, everyone is like staring at me and they're like, <laughs> and I'm getting like, I'm getting some of these and yeah. that was awesome. <laughs> and, and I get back to my friend he's like, I, I don't, I don't know how that even worked. I go, I know, I know, but it did. And yeah, uh, yeah that's part of it for me. The, the story that you have after getting the autograph is uh I keep toying with the idea of writing a book and each chapter would just be about one of the albums I got signed because the story isn't just the two seconds it takes. Like the stories, there's a lot of story leading up and a lot of story after it's signed too. Right. So the, the battling with the PR guy and the, yeah. and the handlers and yep. the, the 90 minute wait where your friend waited with you for 45 of it and said, I'm out of here. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh my God. <laughs> that, uh, real quick, my uh, my friend Pete Schwaba, his favorite artist is Bruce Springsteen. So we go to see Bruce Springsteen at the LA Sports Arena. And uh, after the concert, it was on the Magic Tour, so not that many years ago. As we're walking back to the car, I go, he starts to go straight and I'm going this way. And I go, Pete, where are you going? He's like, I'm going home. I go, you're not going to, you're not going to stay and wait. He goes, you're not going to get Bruce Springsteen's autograph. And I was like, but don't you even want to wait and see? He's like, no, that's, there's no way that's happening. Well, it, it did happen. And then the next day I post the pictures on Facebook and he calls me and he goes, you got Bruce Springsteen's autograph? I go, yes. He goes, how did you do that? I go, I just waited 
90 minutes. That's all it took. <laughs> 30 years and 90 minutes. <laughs> 30 years and 90 minutes. That's uh, that would be the name of the book, I guess. Yeah, that's I think you should do it. And um, I've, I have heard you tell that story before, but I don't have the clip about, you know, here, Pat's going to tell the story again. Yeah, I don't well, have the yeah. I don't have your audio cue there. <laughs> I Well, yeah, I do tell stories over, but that's because I always feel like for me, I always feel like there's new listeners that haven't gone back and listened to 600 episodes. So it's mm -hmm. new to them. Plus, when you're old like me, you forget those stories and then you hear them again. It's like hearing them for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I do try I to try tell them to exactly the same way so that people aren't like, wait a minute, he's embellishing now. Yeah. So what do you have coming up? Uh, this is going to probably go live on the 13th of January. So what, what can we expect from the Rock Solid podcast? I would say the week. At, at, do you drop your episodes on Thursday also? Yeah. Next week, I have a, a fantastic interview with um, an artist named Caroline Jones. She's, a, she's an up and coming country artist, even though she has six albums. Mm -hmm. um, her new album's called Antipodes. And I had a fantastic conversation with her uh, that I just recorded two days ago. And I really think people are gonna dig her music. And I really think they're gonna like this interview because I certainly did. Yeah. Pat, where can people find you on the internet? At Twitter, you can go to at Rock Solid Show because podcast was too many letters. Yep. So at Rock Solid Show, and you can go to rocksolidpodcast.com for everything about the show. T-shirts, episodes, all that good stuff. Yeah, and you can find Rock Solid on all of the major platforms, all of the podcast apps. Yes. Uh, it's a great show. I enjoy it. Uh, I'm glad that. Alexi was on because that enabled me to find you. And um, I, I have a great time, whether you've got a guest on or whether you and Mike Schmidt are just going track by track or you got Siegel on or whoever. Uh, I, I actually really like when you have Schmidt on because the two of you have a, an extremely great chemistry together. Well, what I will tell you this, the day this drops for you, this one, that's the day. Um, listen to this one first. And then go listen to Rock Solid, uh, four hour. I, I think I'm calling it Bat Fest. Bat out of hell. One, two, and three. Uh, you will not be disappointed. There's many tangents. We recorded it on a night when I, I think, I think, I think the family was gone for some reason. Like I think Pilar was on a trip, and uh, I was the only one in the house. And that's when Mike comes over, and that's when we can just we just go for as long as we want because we yeah. got nothing else to do. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really, really fun episode. And I agree with you, Mike, I've known Mike for, you know, 30 years. So it's just, we just know everyone, each other's give and take and all that kind of stuff and make yeah. each other laugh. Yeah. So. That's, that's important, especially if you're doing a comedy podcast. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If you're going to call it a comedy podcast, you better laugh. Deliver. Yeah. I always tell people <laughs> it's weird because when you podcast, especially if I'm doing it with Schmitty, so we want to be entertaining. So the only gauge you really have is if we're laughing in the room, then I assume that'll go through the mics and the wires and into your ears and you'll laugh too. Yeah. And I think it, it probably happens more often than not. So right. I'm looking forward to the meatloaf thing. I love when you pull out his, uh, his more recent efforts 
uh, in the middle of a show to illustrate, oh. <laughs> is it, is it this bad? And then you, you play that. <laughs> yeah. It's not usually that bad, but, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Pat Francis of the Rock Solid Podcast. I've had a great time talking to you and um, best of luck getting all the guests you want to get. And, you. Uh, you know, go check out Pat's show if you haven't. But chances are you've probably heard his show more than you've heard mine. So thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. And uh, everybody, keep listening to Michael's show. And Michael, keep doing what you're doing. Keep having fun. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Michael's Record Collection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.